0: so karmic marketing it's really the philosophy and psychology of giving with the belief and the understanding and the faith that that giving is going to come back to you in some benevolent
1: way and we are Live here on the Freedom Media Network. And today we are welcoming back, (laughs) a little tongue tied there, welcoming back someone who was on our show back in 2020. We took a hiatus, as I explained to Dr. Joe. Uh, My wife and I were traveling with our four kids around the country, and sometimes we were in the mountains and had zero internet access. So I put Freedom Media Network on hold. When we came back here, my internet isn't wonderful. In fact, I may be a little blurry. Who knows? And What happened was I restarted it up, and immediately we had the same amount of followers. It was like they were waiting for a year because we have wonderful guests like the guest we have today. Dr. Joe Batali, um, globally famous author, ranked one of the top 50 most inspirational speakers. He he pumps out about a book every two weeks, I I feel like. (laughs) And I try to read. I try to keep up with them. But uh, also, Dr. Mm -hmm. Joe, many people, millions of people know you from the book the secret but marketing i believe you have uh, a number of music awards are are you up to maybe 75 80 books something like that (laughs) we'll talk about all that today dr joe thank you so much for joining us today
0: of course it's always good to see you i've been looking forward to this moment thank you
1: yeah and and i always love seeing your videos and you got behind you there you got the, the, the 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 little sign be happy right um And, you know, first, let's say your books have had—I mean, you know how the impact your books have had on people around the globe, but me personally, it's had a huge impact. And I commented on your Facebook uh, feed recently that um, you share so much wisdom in so many books that I read so many other books that stem from you. One of them is uh, the Jerry and Esther Hicks Law of Attraction series, your book, The Attractor Factor. And one thing I'd like to throw out, I'm going to start with this because we were just talking about it offline, is the house I'm in, we just moved in here. We're still moving in. I don't have no background. The internet's still getting set up. But we're here in Sedona where the housing is crazy. Everyone's moving in from California, jacking up the price of housing, et cetera. And using uh, much of the wisdom that you share across your books, um, every morning I meditated. I cleared out. I went to zero using Ho'oponopono, from your book, Zero Limits. I, I've cleared out, I get to zero, I empty out the cup, and then I start filling it in with my intention and what I want, and I saw this house with the Red Rock views here every day for a month, but then I was aware, found it in Craigslist. I put together a sales kit, because you have to compete here. 20 people will compete for a, for, to lease a house. I went, we got the house, and we walked in. My wife said, what do you think? I said, this is it. I saw it in my head. I didn't care about the price this is it. So I wanted to start off with that because I think it's appropriate for what we're going to talk about today, and I want to thank you for, for revealing that to me. You are welcome.
0: But what I tell people who always say that they owe something to me is you did it. You didn't just read the book, which is what too many people do. You read the book and you took action. And so I applaud you. You did it. And congratulations on your house.
1: Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah. And and it's amazing when you tell yourself and get rid of the doubts, yeah. um, I manifest X amount of dollars per month. and And a lot of it is, you know, like you said, I do it. in the last time we were around, we talked about the law of attraction and the last part of the part of the word attraction being action and right. and, and taking uh, and taking that action. Um, one piece I wanted to cover up front because you shared it, uh, and, and I mentioned the book Zero Limits and Ho'oponopono and that ancient Hawaiian practice. Uh, really clearing out. It's something that I share, by the way, and recommend your book in my boot camps, Hmm. is Dr. Hugh Len, from whom you connected, we talked about it last time, uh, passed away this week. Um, Can you talk about the impact he had on you and the world through sharing Ho'oponopono?
0: Well, I don't know that I can talk about it without uh, tears in my eyes, because Dr. Hugh Len was a profound, deep, and lasting, and forever unforgettable impact in my life. Because of him, I learned Ho'oponopono. Because of him, I was able to write about Ho'oponopono in the first book, Zero Limits. He and I did three events together, all Zero Limits, one, two, and three. Uh, He came to my home when I was living in Wimberley, Texas. We worked on the book together. We had countless meals and meetings and so forth. And uh, he was an eccentric, uh, lovable, warm, funny, mystical oddball. (laughs) And I say it with great love and I say it with great respect. He's been wanting to stop his traveling and his speaking. He had told me 10 years ago, he just wanted to work in his garden, go for walks, So he was in his 80s, and he was ready to go. The good news is he has merged with home base. He's merged with the divine. And so I will miss him and so forth. But he left the legacy and impact on me and, I I don't know, hundreds of thousands to a million or more or millions? I don't really know because the first book, Zero Limits, which introduced the world to Ho'oponopono and which Dr. Hulen and I worked on together has been translated in numerous languages. It keeps going around the world. And to add a couple more things to this, not only did Dr. Huland influence my life and Ho'oponopono influence my life and all of the Zero Limits work we did together influenced my life, but I also created Zero Limits music I also now have a Zero Limits TV show. It only started weeks ago. Zero Limits Living is an online television show I'm doing weekly. And there's so much more that I could contribute directly to knowing Dr. Hulan and being in his presence. So he is gone, but he is not forgotten.
1: Thank you for that. Thank you for honoring uh, his memory and also really. Uh You know he was over in Hawaii. You went over there and added the marketing piece to it, so and wrote the books to share with everyone and so um
0: when I first heard the when I first heard the story that some odd therapist that helped heal an entire ward of mentally ill criminals, but not working on them directly or using traditional therapy, he used something I had never heard of called Ho'oponopono. I knew I had to find out if the story was true. And then when I did find out it was true, and I did meet the therapist, who was Dr. Hulen, I also knew somebody has to tell the world. Somebody. And I just kind of volunteered. I raised my hand and said, I'll do it. And so I was very lucky to do it, and I'm very fortunate, and I'm very grateful. Uh, yeah.
1: The, the title of the book, Zero Limits, you know, when if you read ancient philosophy, I was going to say Eastern, but really, if you actually even really read, uh, especially the early translations of even the Gospel Bible, um, that word zero, and Alan Watts talks about it a lot. And And uh, in terms of getting back to that empty vessel state, you know, in Taoism, certainly that's one of the goals, to be mindless. Mm. Um, And whether it's karmic marketing or law of attraction or the attractor attractor factor, when you talk about, uh, uh, you know, I like to compare it to you're going to go get a glass of your favorite cup of water, but you go in and your, your cup has dirt in it. Would you just pour the water on top of the dirt? So can you talk a little bit about the importance, even before you start manifesting or or having an intention, the importance of getting back to zero and what that means to you? Uh, Big question.
0: Zero is what Deepak Chopra has called the field of all possibilities. It is the energy vortex where everything arises we as our individual human beings going through life in every moment we are traditionally responding unconsciously to life and what that means is we respond we're responding with built-in programs that we already have in our mind dr hulen used to say that in every moment you're either coming from inspiration or you're coming from memory and 99.9999999% of the time it's memory And memory, in Dr. Hulen's terminology, was referring to our previously hardwired programs, some of which we were born with, some of which we downloaded and acquired over time before we had any conscious awareness. So in many ways, we're walking robots you know, unconsciously reacting to life, not really knowing why we react. We have a little bit of conscious awareness, but not enough conscious awareness to know that what's really running our ship is down below decks in the subconscious and unconscious mind. So the work of Ho'oponopono, the work of Dr. Hulan, a lot of the work that I do these days is all about helping myself and others erase the programs that are between us and zero. Zero, another way to look at it is zero is divinity. Zero is the power source. Zero is the the field of all possibilities. Zero is the place where you can create without restriction, where you can receive inspiration that can dazzle you. But we have to get out of the way to experience divinity or zero. Divinity, zero, all of that is trying to come up. It's trying to reach us. And then it's going through layers and layers of the software of the mind. So zero and zero limits is the goal, but we have some work to do to get there.
1: It's almost like unclogging the drain so the water can flow down, right? You can't be creative if your drain is clogged, right? Because then you're overstimulated, nervous, angry, upset, all the other stuff that with social media, news, politics, viruses, all that, it's easy to let that take you off track.
0: There's lots of buttons and triggers out there. But you know, this is the big takeaway. And I, I hope everybody watching really grasped this because this is the big thing that Dr. Huland taught me. And I got it and I'm doing my best to live it and teach it to other people. And it's the its the reality that all of what you just mentioned, the social media and the triggers that are out there uh, that we react to, we have to understand that the reactions are inside us. It isn't about Facebook or Twitter or TikTok or Instagram or whatever the latest social media craze is that I don't know anything about. I can't keep <laughs> up. And those just triggered something. But the something that was triggered is in us. And that's where the work needs to be done. Instead of trying to fix the outer, in other words, somebody says something on, on Facebook about vaccinated or unvaccinated, and then an explosion goes off, and there's all kind of people riling in there and making their comments, and what are they trying to do? They're trying to change the reality or change the other person but the reaction that's causing them to respond is in them if they go inside and do the inner work one of the tools is ho'oponopono to clear the trigger now you're at peace and if somebody says something you don't agree with you're just like well that was their opinion and you move on you don't have a fallout you know you don't get devastated and you don't go into rage Because all of the reasons you would do those things were in you to begin with. So deleting all of that brings us to a place of peace and serenity, which is closer
1: to zero. I have to I have to say I I try to work on it all the time, but sometimes I let it in. True. And, you know, we got this this sea virus that's floating around, you know, last month, after a family member passed away, we think. The reason she passed away was certain reasons that left me angry and Mm. upset. And I started diving into certain books and sharing it on social media. And I'm going to go save the world by spreading the word. What happened? Two years we've been traveling the country. No illness, complete health. I get angry. I get upset. We let it into our home Mm. and physically manifested what was up here. Mm -hmm. And getting back to that, getting back to that zero state and closing down, I, I will say and I, I tell this story because it, it's a direct impact that you had hmm. in um, I began re-watching clips of our last interview back in September and we're just going through and watching clips and you've seen I posted some. but one clip that I kept watching about is I've had things in my family with my extended family of people, I've cut off or not cut off, and kind of this back and forth of what do you do? How do you renounce while being nice and, and doing these things and trying to put it into play? And we went back for this funeral, and there were some members. There was a, a family member that I hadn't seen in nine years. We had a little bit of a falling out. What's going to happen? There were people that were judgmental of us over certain issues. And oh my gosh, oh my gosh! And I rewatched the video, and you talked. You, you shared a quote that said, "It's not your responsibility. It's not your fault." Mm. But it is your responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I started rereading that about how to react. And it starts within me. And I used that. And I walked in. The first person who I saw at the funeral home was my brother. And I just went up and I gave him a hug. That was it. We're back. Yeah. After nine years, we're back. And so applying mm-hmm. that, trying to heal myself and realizing that certain things I project onto someone else, it's, it's a figment of my imagination.
0: Yeah, and Ho'oponopono, there really isn't anybody else. The way Ho'oponopono, the philosophy of Hawaii that I've been writing about and teaching that Dr. Hulen taught me, they really are saying everything that's out there is an illusion. It's all a projection from your own subconscious programming, which is why it's so important to do the change in your own subconscious. Because when you do the work in your subconscious programming and you alter that, then the outside world, which is an apparition anyway, gets changed. You're the projectionist. It's just that most of us don't know that. Or those who have heard it, forget it, which is real easy to do. We just get caught up in life. But that life is, it's our own mind projecting its own wiring and software and beliefs and data into the outer world so whether it's your brother or whether it's an employee or a customer or the president or whoever it happens to be we can we can remedy those situations by doing the work inside ourselves
1: i love that and, and we have a number of people uh, joining us live here please feel free to to throw in the comments any questions many of the people joining us live were people who in december got a copy of your newest book karmic marketing i sent i sent to them i got uh, hard copies i read it on an ipad but i mailed out the hard copies uh, uh, chris kane says howdy thrilled to be here uh, dean this is going to be awesome so grateful for the opportunity and the book you know it's, it's so funny when you pay attention and and your reticular activating system and and the words that come to you on a regular basis when you pay attention that word karma is one That last year just kept coming to me, coming to me. There's a great author, uh, Jason Gregory, Eastern philosopher, uh, who writes a lot about karma and says, you know, and we talked about this in terms of ho'oponopono and asking for forgiveness, but not doing it in a way that, like, I was conditioned to to feel guilty all the time. I was raised Catholic. So it's a different type of forgiveness than, oh, my gosh, I'm horrible. I have guilt and I have shame. And one of the things Jason opened my eye to was the word karma, and translated, a lot of times is like, "Oh, karma, feel guilty." You had a good day, which means you're going to have a bad day tomorrow. Mm. And so, learning what karma really meant—the word action—and um, and that came to me in a number. And Sadhguru came out with a book called Karma. Yes. Like a month later, and then you come out with the book Karmic Marketing. Um, <laughs> So it's, when you pay attention, you, you start to connect the dots. Can you talk a bit about karmic marketing and why you're taking this Hindu term, the Sanskrit term, karma, and applying it to marketing? Something that people see as always decidedly non-spiritual. It's just nuts and bolts, right? It's just me posting on Twitter.
0: <laughs> well, I'm using the phrase uh, because as a copywriter, I know that that would get attention. I also know that karmic marketing has been the secret to me building an empire from nothing. I mean, I was homeless, I was in poverty, but as I learned about different things like the law of attraction and karma and karmic marketing and started to apply it, I grew a business pretty rapidly and solidly and still have it growing, still here. So karmic marketing is something I've been doing for decades, but I never wrote about it. I referred to it a couple times. I think there's a blog post out there from 2008. There's a video from 2005. But I finally wrote the book. So karmic marketing, it's really the philosophy and psychology of giving with the belief and the understanding and faith that that giving is going to come back to you in some benevolent way. And I don't even think I've ever even described it that way before. I'm very much doing my best to be in the moment, to come from zero. I always clear and cleanse myself before doing an interview so I can be present. You and I didn't talk about what the conversation would be, so I don't know what your questions are going to be. I don't know what my answers are going to be. So when you ask me now about karmic marketing, I give you this completely different answer than, than what might even be in the book. But karmic marketing to me is a form of acknowledging the spiritual and entering the flow of wealth. See, wealth has to circulate, and most of us don't allow it to circulate. Most of us are shut down when it comes to money because we have beliefs like money is the root of all evil. It's not, you know, and I talk about that in the book, and I've talked about that in my other wealth-oriented books like The Awakened Millionaire, and people have beliefs that there's not enough money. And one of the big things that I really had to sit with this to figure out what was going on with people, because I write all these things about giving away money, about tithing, about being generous, about prosperous purchasing, about being in the flow of money, and then they wouldn't do it. And I realized that they had a belief, and a lot of your viewers may still have the belief, that there won't be any more money. They're holding on to what they have because they think there won't be any more. And that's a belief. And with that belief, we're, they're creating a reality that feels like it feels like karma. They, they feel like, well, this is my destiny, uh, my karma. I must have I been a bad person in a bad life or in the last life because I don't have any money this life and I'm being punished. These are belief systems that are being expressed. That's what's going on. I remember talking to a guy one time and he was struggling and he says, I don't think my guardian angels want me to have any money. And I'm like, wait a minute, your guardian angels are going to prevent you from having money? What kind of limited belief system is that? Most of us don't have any clue to what our actual beliefs are around money. So karmic marketing to me is a technique I've already proven to work. It is spiritually based, psychologically based, and metaphysically based. And what it's all about is wherever you feel... You've been inspired recently, and it could have been an Uber driver. It could have been a waiter or waitress. It could have been something that somebody said. Wherever you felt you were inspired, give that person money. Send them money. The general rule of thumb, if you use tithing and some of the religious connotations, is 10%. The way that I'm talking about karmic marketing is a little different than tithing in the religious sense, because I'm talking about looking to where you felt better. Who gave you a zing? Who gave you a spring in your step? Who put a smile on your face? Who opened your heart? Who motivated you or inspired you? That's where you want to get. And when you're giving, you're showing your generosity, you're having to open yourself to share what you've gotten, and you are acknowledging what you've gotten. And then you've entered the circulation of wealth. The other half of this is at some point, you're going to be receiving. Most people have problems receiving. So I talk about this in karmic marketing as well. You have to give where you've received spiritual, inspirational nourishment. And when it comes back around, because it's got to come back 10 times or more full force uh, in your direction, you have to be willing to have your arms open and receive. Mm-hmm. All of this is around karmic marketing. And there's stories I can tell, examples I can give. And of course, because the word marketing is in there, I'm kind of talking about it from a business st- standpoint.
1: In the book, you you provide an example of an early experience with karmic marketing that you experienced, and it was before I believe you had made it, before the attractor factor was the attractor factor, it was called something else. Can you tell that story about how Bob Proctor kind of put karmic marketing into uh, work for you, kind of gave you a little bit of a panic, but how it led to wonderful things? Yeah, it's a great
0: story, and I do tell it at length in the book, so thank you for the opportunity to bring it up. I mentioned I had been homeless and then I was in poverty, and it took a long time for me to start to get published. But when I started, it was around 1995 and things started to click. I wrote one of the first books on internet marketing. I was, uh, I had an audio program, The Power of Outrageous Marketing, published by Nightingale Conan, a company I wanted to be in for 10 years. Things were clicking and they were very conservative. They were very business oriented. They were very bottom line. But secretly, on the side, I still had my spiritual job that I didn't really share except in informal situations, one-on-one kind of a thing. And during that time, my sister was still struggling. She was in Ohio, I was in Texas, she was on welfare, she was trying to raise three kids. And I thought, she needs to know some of the things I've learned. So I wrote a little pamphlet for her, dedicated it to her. It was very short, and I called it Spiritual Marketing. Part of it was, I just thought, you know, it's kind of an odd title. She's not in the marketing, and I'm not even sure she was in the spirituality. But it felt right to me, so I just honored it. The little booklet helped her. So because it helped her, every now and then I'd print off one. Back then we had Kinko's, I'd staple it, I'd hand it to a few people, and people would acknowledge it. And then Bob Proctor, who's one of the big stars in the movie The Secret, he's kind of the grandfather of the law of attraction crowd here, and he's still around doing his thing for all of us. Uh, He invited me to be at his event, The Science of Getting Rich, and it was in Denver. And he invited me as his guest. So I flew to Denver, and I thought, well, I need to give him something. And I thought, spiritual marketing. you know, Nobody else has it. So I handed it to him. And he read it and then embarrassed me. Because he stood on stage in front of those 250, 300 people and said, Dr. Joe Vitale's in the house, and he just wrote a book that nobody has. I just read it. And you're all going to want it. And he said the title. And I panicked because I was never intended for the book to go public. I never intended to share it in a big way. I thought that I would be judged. I thought that it would shut down the conservative business side of my work. But instead... 300 people stampeded me. They all wanted the book, which didn't exist. A publisher was there, and he wanted to publish the book. And I was like, you haven't even read it. <laughs> He's like, Bob Proctor read it. He liked it. And uh, it was a print-on-demand uh, publisher. So I allowed the publisher to to publish it. Print-on-demand was new at the time. And at, as we went on, New York Times did a story on print-on-demand publishing. Did it on my <clears throat> And just when the book became a bestseller, I gave away the ebook version of it. It was early karmic marketing. Even then, I just said, hey, "If you want the ebook, you can go download it." Gave it away. We estimate five million people downloaded that book over time. Big publisher saw the book and said, "Hey, I see your platform. I see your publicity. I see that you're growing. We like the idea. We like you, but we don't like the title. So, can we pick up your book? They we're going to pay me some good money." and change the title brainstormed the new title it became the attractor factor so spiritual marketing evolved into the attractor factor the attractor factor is still my number one bestseller out of all the 80 books that i've written it's the one that talks about the law of attraction story doesn't stop there as you know because a woman in australia read the attractor factor called me up and said uh i want to make a movie about the law of attraction I like this book of yours. Would you be in my movie? And I thought, you know, she's a flake. I never heard of her, and I didn't know she'd ever do anything. But I was polite and professional and said, yeah, if you get it together, give me a call. Maybe I'll be in your movie. (laughs) All of that story, all of that giving, all of that sharing, all of that being open to inspiration and acting on the ideas, even when I didn't know where they would go, led to me being in the movie The Secret. And when you think about it, you take it all the way back, it began with something I gave away, spiritual marketing. And over the evolution of time, it became the attractor factor. The attractor factor got me into The Secret. And, of course, The Secret blew down the doors and the ceilings and all the limitations around my career. And, uh, you know, ended up on Larry King twice and 17 other movies and all kind of things that are still happening today because of my being in that movie.
1: It's, and in Karmic Marketing, you write about the importance of giving. You just gave that, that incredible example. There's more examples in the book. Please go grab the book. We'll put the link in the show notes. Thank you. Um, with a lot of, obviously, the giving leads to more wealth and an abundance of wealth. You're not a church. You're not a nonprofit. You, you charge when you go speak. You charge for coaching. You charge for these yeah. things. Where's the fine line? You know, because some business owners can use this as rationalizing, as undercharging, or uh, I've had some clients who kind of give away all their value without because they feel guilty about charging their clients. So where's the fine line between the giving, like you did, and the wealth creation to you know, charge what you're worth and value the services that you provide? Well, we need to do
0: both. So in other words, I'm not giving away everything. And I'm not advising giving away everything. I am generally advising people to think about what they have that's truly valuable. Let's just take it from a business standpoint for a second. Think about a product or service that you think is really valuable and you're either already charging good money for it or you're thinking of charging good money for it. Give that away. Give that away. Now, it doesn't mean that you have another product or another service or you're speaking or something else that would come in as a result of what you first gave. And if you want to talk in marketing terms, you can say the giving away is a loss leader. You've lost on that one, lost in quotation marks, because you're going to gain the customer or the customer's goodwill or the customer's loyalty to you, and you'll make up on it down the road. What you brought up, though, is really interesting because we really have to pay attention to our tendency for delusion and self-sabotage. I mean, this is very real. I mean, anybody that is being ruthlessly honest with themselves has come face-to-face with this. For example, when I was first learning about tithing, which evolved into karmic marketing for me, I would convince myself, oh, I don't need any give any money because I helped my neighbor move last week. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of people do that. I, I have heard even today, I'll hear somebody say, I, bl- I love tithing. I believe in tithing. I gave some of my product away uh, instead of giving some money away last week. It's like, well, that wasn't tithing then. You didn't give money. You gave your product. The general rule of thumb in metaphysical circles is that if you want more of something, give that away. If you want more money, give more money away. Back in the early days, again, I was not ready to give money. I mean, after going through homelessness and poverty, I was really shut down and living in the limited thinking world when it came to money. And so I'm reading about tithing and I'm thinking, hmm, I wonder if I can replace money with books. What if I gave away some books? Maybe I would get more books. And this is, it's kind of charming to think like that because you look behind me, I'm a book freak. I love books. I'm addicted to books. So if I gave away books and more books came in, that's, a, that's abundance to me. And that happened. That happened. I started giving away books. I'd find somebody was interested in something. And oh, I have a book on that. You can have this. Before you knew it, I was a book reviewer for some of the New Age magazines. This is way back in 1985, or somewhere in there. I'd be paid $25 for the review but I'd also get the book. (laughs) So my giving away books led to me receiving more books. But there was a little self-sabotage there because the idea of tithing and even karmic marketing is to give money, Hmm. is to give money. And I was finding a way to skirt past that. So what I'm saying is it's real easy for us to deceive ourselves It's real easy to rationalize virtually anything, much like my friend who thought his guardian angels didn't want him to be wealthy. I mean, what kind of guardian angels are those? (laughs) (laughs) It's new ones. Uh, And it was demonstrating his own lack of belief in abundance, but he didn't see it. Hmm. And that's how most of us are. This is why I'm a great believer in coaching. You know, my biggest breakthroughs came when I had a coach and because of that, I realized, wow, you can certainly change by reading books, and you can certainly change by applying what you read. But if you want an accelerated,
1: dramatic transformation, hire a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned the receiving part. Yes. And we talk, you know, around Christmas, right? Everyone pays lip service. Give. It's all about giving. Um, I had read karmic marketing and had that in my mind. It's it's so interesting. I tell these stories. I didn't plan to tell these stories, but uh, shortly thereafter um, that I finished the book, my daughter and I were at the gym and we're coming out of the gym. My daughter's 15 and this guy follows us out of the gym, looked like he was in his thirties. And I'm like, okay, he's following a little close. What's going on? And he says, excuse me. And we turned around. He said, I wanted to wait. I could tell you were her father. I wanted to wait so you didn't think I was a creep. You know, that kind of lead in. I'm thinking, well, what's he going to say? And he said, he goes on to explain that his, uh, he was one of, I can't remember, five or six, maybe seven sons and brothers. One of his brothers, his nephew, so his nephew, one of his brother's sons, who was five years old, five years earlier in December around Christmas time, uh, passed away from a rare genetic situation. Hmm. He said, so ever since then, in Christmas season, he buys some random gifts to give away. And he said, I don't know. I got a vibe from your daughter, but I didn't want to go up to her. It was not that kind of vibe. Like your dad, her dad is right here. And I just wanted to get, he gave her, I mean, these are expensive. uh, Apple AirPods, Mm. like the Bluetooth. He gave it to my daughter. My first reaction was, I was going to say, no, 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 no. No, please give it to someone else. Don't give it to us. Don't give it to us. Mm. But I had karmic marketing fresh in my, not from a marketing standpoint, from the giving and receiving standpoint Mm -hmm. that I would hurt him if I said no. And what am I doing to that flow, that circulation of giving? It's not that I'm taking it because I need AirPods and my daughter loves it. But um, why do you think we have such a problem with receiving and the guilt and the no, 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 no?
0: Yeah, this, this is an issue that also prevents us from success in our lives. And it's an internal issue where we feel we're not deserving and we're not good enough. Now, I wrote several books about attracting money. One was called Attract Money Now. I wrote Money Loves Speed. I wrote The Awakened Millionaire. And in all of these books, I'm pointing out there's a couple key beliefs that keep people from, um, from having money whether they earn it or receive it or however it comes to them. And one is, I mentioned earlier, they think money's bad. If they think money's the root of all evil, you're not going to want evil in your house. And so most of us unconsciously push it away. We never even say, oh, it's a belief. We'll say, oh, it's the economy or my boss took it or "There's sales are down or COVID. or We'll think of something, we'll blame somebody. But one of the first beliefs is we have a bad attitude towards money. So I would advise people, Clean that up. Money's just neutral. It's pen and it's uh, coin and paper. It's nothing. Uh, but you can use it as a tool. That's the first thing. The second thing is we don't think we're deserving. We don't think we're good enough. We don't think we're lovable. We don't think we're likable. We think we're falling short in some way, shape, or form. We always feel that we're not enough. That's a self esteem issue. And most of us have had that. Some of us still have that. When I went through homelessness and poverty, mine was zeroed out. There wasn't any. I had to rebuild it, or next to none. I did have a dream, so I knew that I was trying to do something worthwhile. So when it comes to receiving, it pushes our button that I didn't—I I don't deserve it, or I didn't do anything to deserve it. When I was in Thailand two years ago, and you know this from the book Karmic Marketing, it was—it was a huge turning point. I went to Thailand and so many wonderful things happened there. But I learned that they're a gift culture mentality. And what that means is on their birthday, they don't receive gifts. They give gifts. Mm -hmm. Now, I was a Christmas baby. I was born December 29th, four days after Christmas, and I grumbled about it for most of my life. Because everybody would hand me some things like, here's your birthday present and your Christmas present. You know, they just kind of get it done by saying it's all two in one. And I resented it. Boy, people that were close to me knew that I bitched about it every year. (laughs) Until the year I went to Thailand. And I was in Thailand a few years ago for the first time in December, which meant that it was my birthday month. And that's when I heard that they give gifts on their birthday. It blew my mind. It had never, ever occurred to me. Instead of sitting there with my hands saying, give me, give me, give me, it's you sit there with your hands empty because you gave. And when I got back to the States and arranged for my birthday, I actually told everybody and even mailed my list and said, don't send me a thing. I have sent up a, uh, I think it was a Habitat for Humanity uh, fundraiser. and I said if you have an urge to give me anything don't give it to me give it here and then I personally went to Toys R Us which I don't even know if they're still around but Toys R Us I had learned would have all kind of gifts that people had chosen for their kids for Christmas that were still left in the store because Christmas came and, and went and they didn't have the money to pay for the presents and I thought those are kids who didn't get their presents and I went in there and bought you know, I remember thousands of dollars worth of it. So a whole bunch of families would say, it's a few days late, but here's your Christmas presents. And I'm going to tell you, it was ecstasy to do. Sure. Ecstasy to do. It was so comforting, so warm, so beautiful to give on that kind of level. It felt better than any of the gifts that I had ever received that I can, I can remember. Now, as I say that, you would ask me, what's the problem with us receiving? In the book, I tell this story. It was one of the first times somebody offered me something big. I had spoken at an event, and one woman who had been a fan, and she was becoming a friend, and she was hanging around with me. We were walking around the the expo together where there were all kinds of shops and craftsmen and all kinds of things for sale. And she said, uh, I would like to buy you this drum. And it was a handmade drum that I knew cost a thousand dollars. And I, I started to sweat. I actually started to sweat, going, it cost a thousand dollars. You know? What I didn't do anything. I don't deserve that. And she was standing there truly wanting to give. And as you had pointed out earlier, when you deny somebody that, you actually hurt them. You hurt their feelings because they're wanting to give you the gift out of the goodness of your of their heart, but you also interrupt the flow. The flow of wealth. Money needs to circulate and however it goes out into the world, when you block it off, you've blocked off receiving other good things as well. So I think the short answer is it's a sense of deservingness and self-esteem, and we just need to rebuild it.
1: By the way, Jennifer commented, not surprised, but you both are hitting all the things I need to hear today. And Dean said, me too. Um, so thank you. And by the way, anyone who's, who's watching this live, please feel free. If you have any questions, please share them here, and and, uh, and I'll throw them out to Dr. Joe. Um, you were, uh, you've mentioned it today, but if you've read any of your books, people should know, you were once homeless living out of your car. <clears throat> You're homeless living out of your car and you still found ways to give. And you found ways to not make excuses and be creative to build yourself up from there. Do you think, I'm trying to think about how to ask this question.
0: Well, let I have me. Found let,
1: people who let me have answer. sick.
0: <laughs> What's I that? want to interrupt you. Uh, I want to interrupt you. First of all, I was not living out of my car. I did not have a car. Oh, okay, okay. It's something a lot of people have said, and I would go, it would have been great to have a car. (laughs) So I didn't have a car. I was living in the Dallas Public Library, which was wonderful in some ways because it was air-conditioned, and they had water, and they had a bathroom, and they had books. And I can sit there all day and read all these books. And, of course, I'm starving, and there was no food and all of that. And so the second thing is I didn't really give at that point. I don't remember having anything to give or feeling like I had anything to give. When London Real interviewed me about the hard times, I remember telling them that I was on a bus. I had gotten on a bus in Dallas to go somewhere, maybe a job interview, and the bus driver stopped and came back right to me and said, it's 60 cents. I had walked by the little toll booth thing that was in the bus, and I didn't have 60 cents. Hmm. I had to get off the bus. So I didn't have a car and I don't believe I was giving because I don't know that I knew it or could practice it at that time. So I just wanted to interject that and give you time to think about whatever your question was.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I, I think, you know, having had that experience of, uh, you said zero, but not necessarily in the zero state, but zero in terms of money and living in the All public right. library. Do you feel that that, uh, not that you really loved being mad and would love to go back to living in the library, but, but I, I meet people who have a lot of savings. Mm. They have money in the bank. They certainly have a lot more money in the bank than someone living in a public library with no car. But they feel as trapped as someone who's living in a public library because, well, for a variety of reasons, right? Even though they have $100,000 or $200,000 in the bank, they're playing defense right? And so they never have enough. Can you speak to that a bit in terms of the burden, sometimes from an emotional standpoint, maybe feels the same. And and if someone's living in a library right now, they're like, oh yeah, easy for you to save you have all that money. But can you talk a little bit about sometimes money, the amount of money in your bank account isn't actually what's holding you back? Because I've seen people with a ton of money in their their bank account who are as held back as someone who's got zero dollars
0: right? Well, it's a great observation. We're all belief driven. And so some of the people who have, actually have money, sizable, whatever it happens to be, um, still have limiting beliefs. They still think there isn't enough. So they have to hold on to it. I discovered a long time ago, I was in uh, Kuwait. There was a princess who had brought me to Kuwait. And believe me, I did not want to go. I was like, I we fought in Kuwait. I don't want to go to Kuwait. Why do I want to go to Kuwait? And they asked my speaking fees. I just blew it through the roof, you know, thinking, well, that'll scare them off. They said, oh, we'll pay it. I'm like, wait a minute. And I talked about my flight. Oh, I want, you know, pristine first class right behind the pilot kind of a seat. Okay. I'm like, wait a minute. And I just kept upping the ante and they kept agreeing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I ended up <clears throat> going to Kuwait. And the princess who brought me over there was already wealthy by birth. In Kuwait, they have... You know, you basically don't have to work. You're already independently wealthy when you're born. But she had married two different men, both of them very wealthy. Both of them had died. Both of them left her their money. And uh, so you have a woman who has wealth that most of us can't even imagine the numbers. It's staggering. It's, it's more than what most of us can even get to in our heads. And she comes to me after I spoke and did the speaking gig, and she says, I'm thinking of hiring you as a coach. And I said, really? What for? What do you need to work on? She said, money. (laughs) And I'm like, money? You? (laughs) What's your issue with money? She has too much. She has too much, and she's afraid that she's going to be ripped off. She's constantly on red alert in her subconscious mind that she can't trust people. And who's going to be the next one that's actually going to manipulate her or steal from her in some way, shape, or form? And that's when I realized everybody who thinks all their problems will be solved when they have money is wrong. And everybody who already has money, who is still looking for more, is coming from limiting beliefs around money. And even the one, the, the rare person that is the staggering wealth that's enormous that this princess had, still had limiting beliefs. So for me, we have to do the internal work so we are free. It's not really about money. It's about, about living from zero. I think in my book, Zero Limits, I told a couple stories of when Dr. Len had come in and we were researching the book and getting to know each other and I'm interviewing him and we're having our lunches and stuff, he would just slap down, he would buy a knickknack and slap down $20 as a tip. And he, he did not, that I'm aware of, had lots of, any, of extra money, but he was practicing inspiration, prosperity, and zero-limit thinking. So I think that's where we want to go so that we are actually free. One of my favorite quotes, I don't know if it's in Karmic Marketing, but it's in some of my other money-oriented books, is from Arnold Patton. And Arnold Patton said, we do not create abundance. We create limitations. Hmm. And boy, that hit me hard when I saw it. It was like, we're not the ones creating abundance. Abundance then is already here. That's the zero state. Abundance and all that's needed is already here. When we look out and don't see it, it's because of our perceptions. Perceptions are beliefs, our mindset, our paradigms, our wiring. That's why Ho'oponopono or any tool, coaching, whatever comes to mind, that we can use to help erase the limiting beliefs returns us to an abundant state.
1: Hmm. Yeah, when you, when you shared that, when I read it, I immediately thought of a river. It's flowing. Yes. We don't create the river, but we can build a dam. Yes. Right, and and stop the flow, which is and so powerful. Can,
0: and you can also, I, and I've heard this expression. There was, uh, I can't say his name, but he's too controversial, and he's in jail now. <laughs> a, f- a famous uh, author, self-help guy who really practiced unlimited thinking when it came to abundance. And I remember asking him, I said, don't you think you're going to run out at some point because you're spending all this money on infomercials, this, that, and the other? And he said, no, money is just like a big river of prosperity. He says, I just go back to the river with a couple of buckets. I always remembered that image. The flow of prosperity is just this ocean-like river going by, and whenever you need some, you go to it with a bucket.
1: A related quote, I think, I think it's related, maybe it's not, um, that you share in the book, and, and I shared this out on social media, I love it, which is, you don't need more money, you need more creativity. Can you explain that a bit more?
0: That's huge. That is so huge. You don't need money. Everybody says it, but you know why they're saying it? It's an excuse. It's an excuse. That's why they're saying they're not taking any action. Oh, I have an idea to build a business, but I don't have any money or I want to open such and such, or I want to do such and such, or I want to buy such and such, or I want to go on such and such trip. They come up with all these things that they would like to do, but then they deceive themselves. There's that sneaky little subconscious wiring that talks them out of their own good, and they say, well, I can't do it because I don't have any money. There are so many incredibly breathtakingly inspiring stories of people who didn't have any money who went on and built empires. You look at the people who came to America when they had one dollar in their pocket or no money in their pockets, and yet somehow they build a business, in some cases, a giant business. For whatever reason, I'm thinking of Desi Arnaz, and Desi and Lucy, of course, with the I Love Lucy show. I always loved the show, always loved them, and I read Desi Arnaz's autobiography, which is breathtaking. The guy was a genius. He had come from great wealth in Cuba. But his home, his parents, everybody, uh, home burned to the ground, animals killed. They were chased out of the country. He comes to America, and I really think he had $5. I think he had $5. And here is a man who doesn't speak English, who comes to this country with $5 in his pocket and builds a freaking media empire. That's only one example. I remember watching Donnie Deutsch had a show on TV that I absolutely loved. It was called The Big Idea, and it was on CNBC. And one of my great joys was I was on it one time, and I got to meet Donnie, and he interviewed me. And It was I'm smiling now because it's a great memory. But he had a woman on there. There was this young black woman who had invented a, a purse, and he asked her the story. And she had said, well, I had an idea for a purse. The purses I saw out there weren't serving me. And uh, so I designed it, but I didn't have any money to make one. And I had to find somebody that would make a prototype. So she went on Google. She did all of her research. She found that the best ones that could make it are in China. The woman books a flight to China. She has no money. She has no contacts. She can't speak Chinese. She puts all of this on her credit card. She flies to China, goes to one of the big hotels because she figures somebody there is going to speak English. They do. She hands them the printout of the list of suppliers and asks, how do I get to them? She goes and meets with every one of them, and one of them agrees to build the prototypes. She comes back. All this is on a credit card. She has no money. This is daring, and this is creative. She comes back to New York, has her prototypes, goes to a few stores, and somebody picks them up. She was on Donnie Deutsch's show because she was a young multi-millionaire with a big idea. There are so many stories of people who have done that. I really get in people's face, and, and, and I know the feeling. I've been there. I mean, when you're homeless and you're in poverty or you have an idea and you don't know where to really start, it's easy to say, I don't have any money. Boy, I'd do it if I had any money. No, bull. If you're really creative, if you're really committed, you really want to make something happen, you'll find a way to make it happen. You don't always need money, but you always need creativity and courage.
1: I love that. I love that. For anyone listening or watching this who's an entrepreneur, a business owner, maybe they've been there for a while, but they've been languishing, uh, or maybe they're an entrepreneur or they started off this new year with a new business. What's one piece of advice other than, by the way, go get the book Karmic Marketing as well as Dr. Joe's other book, but what's one thing they can do today to put in place karmic marketing to help them move the ball forward and grow starting today? Mm. One thing, huh? (laughs) Um,
0: Yeah, there's so many things. My gosh. I think I would refer back to something I brought up earlier. I would ask whoever is listening right now or watching right now, to think about a product or service that they are already selling and decide to give it away. And in fact, you should be resistant to doing it. You should really feel resistance right now, which would tell me the product or service is worth it. What most people do when they try to practice karmic marketing is they give away crap. They give away something that's not really worth anything. And the people receiving know it's not really worth anything. So they don't have any respect for it. They don't value it. It didn't make any difference in their life. But if you have something that you believe in, that you created or you built or you had created for you, and you want to sell it or are selling it, I would consider giving it away. Consider it's karmic marketing. You're giving it out there because you want to help when I gave away spiritual marketing, I really just wanted to help. I, didn't, I never thought that another publisher would pick it up. I never thought that it would lead to me being in a movie. I never thought that you and I would be talking about the whole journey and everything that happened because of that giving. I gave out of the purity of wanting to make a difference. So if the person watching right now is in business, I would look, I would reflect over their inventory or create something new, but really make it valuable and really make it so that you feel like this could really help people. They only had this and then
1: give it to them. Wow. Chris asks a great question. Hmm. And this goes back to your previous money, creativity, having creativity, you don't have you know, you don't, you don't lack money, you lack creativity. He said, what do you do when you don't have any ideas?
0: Well, I think <laughs> I'm chuckling to myself because I. I <sighs> the truth of the matter is we always have ideas. What we're doing is judging them before we allow ourselves to receive them. We're sitting there in a way playing a, another self-sabotage name, and I'm not picking on anybody because I'm sure whoever asked the question, there's lots of other people with a similar question on their minds. It's not just you. And so it's very much like saying I don't have any money. It's like, man, I'd love to be an entrepreneur. I don't have any ideas. Give me a break. You've had ideas over the years, and maybe you dismiss them. But even if you were sitting there right now and you were honestly thinking to myself that, you know, my mind's blank. I don't have any ideas. One of the things I learned a long time ago is to start listening to complaints. Wherever you hear a complaint from yourself or somebody else, that's an opportunity to create a product or service. It's one of the biggest ideas I could ever give you right now. If even we could even use this moment, you're sitting there going, I don't have any ideas. All right. Do some research on Google on how to come up with ideas and then write your own little booklet called how to come up with ideas when you don't have any ideas. You will have then come up with an idea based on the fact that you didn't have any ideas on how to create ideas, which you can give away if you want to make a difference to people or you, which would be karmic marketing, or you can sell it if you wanted to. And if you really want to be bold and you really want to think like an entrepreneur, turn it into a freaking course. Turn it into a bigger book or to an online e-class and have people pay bigger money to it could be the No Idea Club. And the No Idea (laughs) Club is for people who have no idea how to come up with ideas and you're going to help them. And how will you help them? Because you did all the research on Google. And let me give you one more idea. This is this is something I learned a long time ago, and I think it's brilliant. Wherever it is that you want to learn, like how to generate ideas, you do research on the 12 people who are known for coming up with ideas. There'll probably be 12 authors out there, and you can find their books. Buy their books and then contact them and say, I'm making a course on how to generate ideas when you have no ideas. Can I interview you? Almost everyone will say that yes, because they want the publicity for their book and the promise of getting some more attention. You interview them saying, how can I come up with ideas when I have no ideas? My my, my head's frozen. There's nothing working there. And you listen to 12 experts. You now have 12 audios that you can sell. You can then transcribe those 12 audios and you have a book with 12 chapters in it. So we just went from, I got no clue. I got no idea. (laughs) To to products. And we can go on from that. You can become the idea consultant, you know, and you can tell the story. I was listening to Dr. Joe, and Dr. Joe said, act on your ideas. And I said, I don't have any ideas. And he said, boom, go on Google and start looking for how to come up with ideas. Next thing you know, I'm an idea expert. (laughs) This could be your story. This is your
1: turning point. Well, you've had light bulbs go off in my head now, or you've you've forced them to go off. So I'm going to steal some of these ideas. I'm going to go make some money. By the way, anyone who's watching or listening, take this podcast and go make money. There's nothing wrong with money. Go make money. There's some concrete things you can do. Dr. Joe, we're going to put the link to Karmic Marketing in the show notes. Please go get the book. Thank you so much for joining. Real quick, you have another book coming out in like a week or two, right? Karmic Marketing just came out. What's your next book?
0: I don't know. What is my next book? Did I say there was another book? Yes, I pre-ordered it. I
1: forget the name and I just thought
0: The Abundance Paradigm. Yes,
1: The Abundance Paradigm.
0: Yes, The Abundance Paradigm, moving from the law of attraction to the law of right action. It's on pre-order right now on Amazon. And you're right, somebody told me years ago I should have the Book of the Month Club. Because every month there's a new Dr. Joe book. Karmic Marketing is the recent one the abundance paradigm is coming around the corner and zero limits
1: tv how can people watch you on zero limits oh thank
0: you for asking me um zero limits living is the name of the show we air every friday and it's on roku apple tv amazon fire youtube uh the lux tv app will allow you to watch it anywhere i put up a website just go to zero limits living tv zero limits living tv.com and i'm posting all the shows as we do them right there
1: excellent well thanks everyone who joined us live thanks for everyone who's listening or watching on memorex i'm dating myself with that little (laughs) that little meme (laughs) dr joe vitale thank you so much for joining us today
0: great fun great pleasure great to see you thank you for having me